to hear you want to put it on your email? Yeah, I think so. Oh! I just got I don't know what else I'm supposed to Aaron! Welcome, men. It's great to be together. It's awesome to be back with you. Had a great uh, conference and meetings over in Turkey. Uh, heard lots of inspiring stories. Uh, one I'll share with you tonight. You have a brother in Christ in Albania named Eno. And Eno is a professional trainer. And he is famous for training celebrities, professional athletes in Albania. And he became your brother in Christ, and he knows so many great people. They said, we're going to create an entire event with a sermon just for you to bring your friends to it. So Eno had over 50 of his friends committed to come to this event. Well, the afternoon before the event, he started feeling sharp pains. He went to the doctor. They sent him to the hospital, and they said, you need emergency surgery. And he said, well, you can't do surgery until late tonight because I have an event that I'm hosting and 50 of my friends are coming to hear the Bible preached. So have my surgery ready for me and after the event, I'll come back to the hospital and then you can do my surgery. And so more than 50 of his friends came to this event, uh, heard the Word of God preached, and then he went to the hospital and had his emergency surgery and so you know it's it's pretty cool when you see the hearts of young christians all over the world uh doing great things for god i know um uh, mohan nanjidan leads the church in london and he was sharing about disciples there and a guy became a disciple and his his family business was a cafe and so he said you know what we're going to do is every sunday after church we're just going to open up the cafe and then we can do Bible talks at the cafe after church. Yeah. And over the last year, they've baptized three people that have just come to the cafe for coffee uh, and been a part of the Bible study that's gone on and now become your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, you know, it's pretty cool when you hear stories like that from your brothers and sisters all over the world. Yeah. And uh, just a great inspiration um, you know, their hearts and their faith, but, you know, the partnership all over the world, we're doing the same thing, and that is uh, working to spread the good news of the gospel. Amen? So, uh, we are continuing on in 40 days of prayer, and we are now long enough in that if it, daily prayer was not a habit, it should have become one. And if you've been sporadic, it's not too late to uh, repent and be consistent. You know, the fact is, uh, talking to God isn't something we do just as a highlight moment. Uh, that needs to be daily conversation that's going on. Why? Because the character of our God. He wants to hear from us. He loves us. He's fired up to answer our prayers. And uh, tonight, we're going to talk about praying in a crisis. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the lesson you heard last was talking about praying through a breakthrough. And that's when you just get stuck in one of those long-term situations and you really need God 
to help you kind of break out of whatever it is that you are stuck in. A crisis is different than that. A crisis is a moment in time that all of a sudden completely floors you, overwhelms you, shocks you, confronts you. It could be uh, death in the family. It could be health related. It could be financial. It could be a job, a relationship. It could be a lot of things. But it's not something that you have time to prepare for. It's not something you see coming. It's just something that happens right away and you're like, oh no, what do I do? And we're going to be taking our cues out of Second Chronicles 20. So go ahead and turn over there. And I want to read the story uh, with you so then we can go back and hit the high, the kind of what we learned about how to pray in a crisis from this story. So, Second uh, Chronicles 20 <clears throat> says, After this, the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat was a good king. Israel did not always have good kings, but he was one that was good. He did what the Lord wanted him to do. He led revivals. The people of God were, were doing good things. You know, there's times where we do bad things and inflict crises in our life. Uh, self-inflicted crises, we need to pray to God too. But sometimes you can be doing the best you've ever done spiritually and wake up one morning and find yourself in a crisis. And unfortunately, bad things happen to people who are doing good things. Okay, We're not shielded um, from bad because we're disciples. Jesus says each day we'll have enough trouble of its own. Okay, So, here's God's leader and His people done nothing wrong, wakes up one morning, and not one king, but three kings are coming to wipe him off the face of the earth. So some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard, and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it Uh, forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. They've lived in it and built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether sword or judgment, plague or famine, we'll stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and we'll cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir whose territory... You would not allow Israel to invade when they came out of Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're coming to repay us. Uh, Well, 
See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but all our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Uh, Down in verse 15. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. You'll find them at the end of the gorge. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. Then some of the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Alright, verse 22. It says, As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off the plunder and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder it took three days to collect it. Then they assembled in the valley of Baraka where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the valley of Baraka to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace. For as God had given him rest on every side. Mm -hmm. Now that is an awesome story. So you got the leader of God's people doing what you ought to do and all of a sudden he wakes up Not one army, but three are coming to wipe him out. There's no time for prep. You can't go and get resources. You can't go get additional training because the moment is at hand. You are immersed in it and there is nothing you can do. That's a crisis. Now, Some of you right now are in a crisis. Some of us are not. And praise God for that. But you know what? You will be. (laughs) Uh, Crisis is something that happens many times a year. Sometimes a lot more often than we want. You don't get notice. Hey, next week on Tuesday, have a good quiet time because a crisis is going to happen. Yeah. One of the things is men, 
we feel like we've got so much control that we're captain of our own ship. If you work hard, if you're diligent, if you're smart, then you're going to be able to create smooth sailing in life. Not found that to be the case. You've heard me say before, when I was a young Christian, I thought, I can't wait to become older because life will be so much easier. I won't struggle with wondering what to do because I'll have so much wisdom, I will just always know what to do. The challenges are going to get easier because my faith is going to be so much more. You know what? Our lives are never going to be free from crisis. But how do you pray in a crisis? Well, we're going to look at six lessons from the king. What's he tell us to do? Number one, turn to God for help. Yeah. You know, Chaz talked about this on Sunday. It's been mentioned in other lessons. Too often, men, we make prayer a last resort instead of a first response. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you're in a crisis, you're right there in the moment. But unfortunately, sometimes the first thing we don't do is pray. We get sad, we get discouraged, we get angry, we detach. Mm -hmm. Listen, the first thing we learn here, turn to God for help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, when, when you have a God like we have, we cannot be intimidated by problems, but we can be motivated. But that's not how we think. But it's because we're not looking at God. When we look at God and we realize who He is, the problems shrink in size. Mm-hmm. Because God becomes big. Yeah, you ever think about wasted energy from anxiety? Mm-hmm. Or in modern terms, we don't like to say, "Oh, I'm just you know full of anxiety." So, yeah, I kind of freaked out. Oh yeah, yeah. We say, "Oh, I'm I'm, I'm not freaking out. I'm just really concerned about the situation." <laughs> uh huh. My not heart is better. full of concern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we got to tur- first turn to God. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, How many times have we freaked out and then prayed? <laughs> Jehoshaphat said, Lord, you're the one. And it was life or death. He knew where his answer was. I love how he says, um, are you not the God who's in heaven? (laughs) You see, because you turn to God for help, but then right there, it's remember how big God is. Mm -hmm. Say, how often do you think about who God is in his character? 
You know, sometimes it's just a great quiet time to say nothing and just think about the character of God. Yeah. Think about what He's capable of. He spoke the universe into existence. And you say, what, what was the mechanism that He used? I don't know. But I know at some point, something existed out of nothing. And that's the God that we pray to. You know, when, when you're in a crisis, don't you have a habit of kind of cycling on the crisis? You know, what are we doing? We're focusing our mind on the problem. But not on the God that has the ability to do something about it. Mm-hmm. So we got to remember how big our God is. We need to remember what God has done. Yeah. What David said when he was going to face Goliath. God's given me the lion. Yep. God's given me the bear. Bare hands. And this Philistine's going to be like yeah. one of them. Yeah. Jehoshaphat starts talking about what God has done. Yeah, you ever you ever prayed and talked yourself into faithfulness? You know, you start your prayer and you're just not where you need to be. And you start praying, and you're like, God, you've done this, you've done this. Like, you just think on a practical basis how good it is when you face the crisis to pause and go, okay, God's already done this in my life. He's done this in my life. He's helped this person. I've seen him work this miracle, and and I've seen him work this miracle, and I heard this great news, and I heard this great news, and I know about this situation. You see, what are you doing when... You're filling yourself up with faith by going, here's what God has done. Versus, oh no, I've got this crisis. I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, it's going to be terrible because it's going to be so bad. And I don't know how this is going to end. And this is going to be awful. And what's going to happen 10 years of awfulness after this awful situation? And oh my goodness. And we just start thinking about just the worst case scenario. We do everything but think about God and who He is and what He has already done. Jehoshaphat was amazing in who he was in that situation. He says, what else did he do? He remembered what God had promised. Do you have any idea how many promises are in the Bible? There's actually sort of a range because it depends on exactly how you find individual ones. The lowest number of promises found in the Bible is over 4,000. Wow. And then depending on how you define it, you can get up to almost 7,000. That's a lot of promises. But you know what's cool about that? Is you end up in a crisis. God's given you promises. You know what that means? You can take him at his word. See, God will not flake. God's word is true, it can be trusted. 
And so you start thinking about the promises of God. How many promises of God do you know that relate to your life? Do you think the ten unfaithful spies thought much about the promises of God when they went to spy in, get this, the promised land? (laughs) And then came back and said, no way, we can't do it. Like, you wonder how that conversation, you wonder if they, they called it out by name. There's no way we could take the promised land. How many promises do you know? I will be with you always. You ever feel lonely? Feel abandoned? That's just great practical. Just memorize promises of God. Because when when those promises are in your heart, then you've got them to use during those times. But Jehoshaphat didn't go do a Bible study. He knew it. He goes, hey, you gave us the land to Abraham. Remember that? God, you promised him. Just want to remind you of that, God. Yeah, that's how it works. He's, He's saying, I trust your word. Okay, um, and then what else did he do? He appealed to God's character. I love this one. He goes, "Hey, we came out of Egypt, and we were going to kill him, and you would not let us, so we didn't. And now they're coming to kill us. So what's with that? Wait, <laughs> right, he's he's appealing to the character of God." Yeah. He's like, hey, we wouldn't have had this problem if we could have just killed them when we came up out of Egypt and you told us not to and we listened to you. And now, look what we're dealing with. Like, seriously, God, you're going to let that happen? That's this conversation that's going on right here. Hey, you remember when Abraham did that? Yep. With, with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, what if there's 50 righteous people? Okay, for 50, I won't destroy it. Okay, what if there's 40? I mean, surely, like, for the sake of 10 people, like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't destroy it because of 10 people, right? Okay, 40. Okay, what about 30? I mean, for those 10, I mean, come on. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do it for 30. I mean, he's appealing to character. That's bold. Yeah. Yeah. But if you have confidence in the character of God, you have no problem appealing to it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But if you don't have confidence of God, you are not going to appeal to it in a crisis. You're going to go to your default mode, which is anger, panic, anxiety, detachment, numbness, and so you you got to be doing the groundwork on the front end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we appeal to God's character, and I love that. Are you not? All these statements. Are you not? Did you not? 
He's, he's like being emphatic about what he's doing. So through that time, he's like, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know what you've said. I know what you do. And so you just see him immersing himself in who God is. And that's where he turned in the midst of the crisis. Then he says, we have no power to face this vast army. Men, if we're honest, this is one that normally is hard for us to get to. And usually not step number one. Normally it's after we've used all bit of wisdom and strength and know-how that we've tried, sometimes made the problem a whole lot worse. And then we're like, I don't know what to do. It'd be a whole lot better in a crisis to start there and say, God, I got no power to fix this. You know, that's freeing to admit. But as men, sometimes we're expected to fix everything. Our kids break some fancy toy and then they're like, all the parts, here dad, I need you to fix it. That's beyond my skill level right there. But life throws stuff at us and we we want the fix. And there's a lot of pressure if we think we're supposed to be able to fix the situation. Let's take the pressure off and go, I got no power to fix this. You see, because if you can go there, it helps you stay directed on God, right? Okay? So, you got to be able to admit that the situation's impossible for you. And then, um, part of that is then to rely on God's resources. You say, well, what are God's resources? Well, they're the resources that He brings to the table. You say, well, are God's resources all the things that He's given to us? Well, sometimes, but typically with God's resources, it's things that He's going to accomplish that we see nothing of. How many times in the Bible did God work an incredible victory the way you would have done it? Yep. I mean, how many times did God come up with the plan that if you were the leader, you'd go, oh, that was the exact plan I was thinking of. Wow, God, we're like totally on the same page. You see, God does stuff in a godly way. And every single one of us can think of times in our life where just crazy stuff was going on. And we're like, I have no idea what's going to... There's no fix. There's no answer. I have. I just have no idea. Yeah. And then God steps in and does something, and you're like, "No way! I can't believe that He's going to work in that way." Uh, I I shared with some of the uh, men leaders on Sunday that when I was in Turkey, I got to hear stories uh, over just from our brothers and sisters over there. And one of the guys that I shared about on Sunday, Sammy, uh, who leads the church in Beirut, 
they were trying to figure out how are we going to start a church in Yemen. And Yemen is the most closed Muslim country of the world. Uh, and they, they're like, what are we going to do? And so they came up with the idea, let's start an internet chat room and do Bible studies with people online. And we now have 39 disciples in Yemen. They've had physical contact with the brothers and sisters, so it's not just all you know cyber connection. But that, that is the fundamental way the church uh, was started. Uh, one of the guys that Sammy studied the Bible with, he said, the only way we could have contact is once a week I would meet him at the duty-free at the airport. Because even though it was a Muslim country, the duty-free area is an international area. So it's not illegal to study the Bible with a Muslim in the duty-free area. So every week we'd meet in the duty-free area of the airport to do a Bible study. I mean, you hear stories like that and you go, that's incredible what, what God is doing. Like, who would have thought of that? I was impressed that they thought of that. I'm like, no way. The duty free. Internet chat room. See? Internet does good things. But God has resources to do God's work. Yeah. Amen. But we have to be able to rely on Him. Yeah. You see, when you're focused on God's resources, it turns your eyes away from the problem and it focuses you on the problem solver. Yeah. And then what we do is then we can relax in faith. You know, one of the things I've started doing recently is um, at the end of every day is just kind of evaluating the day. And I would do that from time to time, but typically my evaluation was, oh, it was a good day or it was a bad day. You know, kind of good things happened, happy about the things that occurred that day, or it was a bad day, bad things happened. Well, in my graduate program, one of the things they ask you to do is evaluate your day differently. And evaluate your day in, in this terms. Like, where did you experience God's presence? And where did you experience His absence? At what point in the day uh, did you feel like full of life? And at what point of the day did you feel drained? And you know what's amazing is when you start evaluating your day in that way, I actually started seeing ways where bad things happen during the day, but I felt full of life and close to God. And times where good things were actually going on during the day, but I didn't feel close to God and I felt drained. You say, what's the difference? Well, it's are, are you focused on the problem or the problem solver? You see, when you're focused on the problem solver, you can be at peace even in the midst of turmoil or tragedy. 
Yeah, you ever just been exhausted and said, I just need a vacation. I'm just tired. I need a vacation. And then you go on vacation. And at the end of vacation, you're like, ah, so glad to come back home because it's like, ah, just want to get back to normal. I'm like, what happened on the vacation? Nothing. I just slept and ate. But it's like, ah, I just feel drained. You know why? Because we're wrongly identified with what, what our issue is. We've got to relax in faith. You know, sometimes people are like, oh, I'm just looking for a sign from God. You ever done that? Okay, God, I see a person across the restaurant there. If you want me to invite them to church, then have them walk to the left. But if they walk to the right, then you don't want me to care about their salvation. God, if that sister oh, here is the one for me, the one, the one, we're looking for confirmation to our choices. And God's like, I gave it to you right here. You've got my word. Stop looking for a sign and look for a verse. That's a billboard there, man. That's a good bumper sticker right there. But relax in faith. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. This is what the Lord says. You see, when... And I love what it says in blue right there in the book that you're, uh, if you brought your books and are taking notes in them. It says, when you put your battle in God's hands, your battle becomes God's battle. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be kind of cool to have a bodyguard. I remember once we were playing basketball. I was leading the CSUN ministry. And we were playing a pickup game. And there was a dude that dribbled with his head down and just dribbled down the court. And and I'm just standing still. And he just blasts into me. And he had, you know, barbed wire tats all the way around. And I go... Dude, that's a foul. <laughs> and he goes, nobody calls charging fouls. And I said, well, you don't have to get all uppity about it. And he goes, why? You want to make something about it? <laughs> and uh, he wasn't a particularly big fellow. <laughs> But I remember Norm Holloway. Yeah. He just walks up between me and him. And he goes, you don't have a problem with my minister, do you? 
guy, the guy walks off. And, you know, we chuckled about that later. But, guys, do you understand that we get in these situations and God's like, come on, it's like wrestling, tag, tag me in. God's like, come on. Let me give it to me. Come on. And when we go, all right, God, your turn. He's like, all right, you just go over there and rest. Have Gatorade. I got this. Guys, didn't that sound amazing? We just sit back and relax in faith and let God do the work? Is that how you live your life? Guys, we spin our wheels. We, we grind. We're, we're angry and frustrated. Why? Because we got challenges and we're trying to do it on our own strength and saying, go ahead, God. And He says, I got this. Yep. You know, where, where do you go from here? Well, if you're going to respond in faith, Faith believes in advance what God is going to do. And if you remember the story, what did they do? They, they sent out a choir. And they said, sing songs of praise. Amen. Once again, yeah. not the idea that we would come up with. Yeah. So at the front of the army is the choir. It's the worship band is leading the way. Yeah. That's it. And... Listen to what it says. It says, As they sang praises to God. Well, what were they praising God for at that point? Because nothing had happened. But see, faith praises God in advance for what God is going to do. Now, if God has already done it, that's not faith. You can still be grateful, and it's good to be grateful, but that's not faith. When it's already happened, you're just going, hey God, thank you that this happened. Faith is thank you that it's going to happen. But when you sing songs of praise, when you thank God in faith, that's before the evidence of the victory. When they started singing those songs, then they destroyed each other. It says they came out there and all they found was dead bodies. You see, you don't wait till God works to thank Him. You thank God in advance. That's what faith does. You praise God for what He's going to do. And then I love uh, the last point. You expect God to turn battles into blessings. And how, how did the chapter end there? It says in verse 29, The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Mm-hmm. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for as God had given him rest on every side. So what, what struck the people? They heard how the Lord had fought. Yeah. You know, there's so many situations in life that in the moment just feels like a tragedy. And then after the fact, you go, wow, they could never imagine 
that this was going to happen through this. Guys, we will face crisis. Maybe you're in a crisis right now. But are, are you focused on the problem solver or on the problem? Are you turning to God? Are you using His resources? Are you remembering who He is? How big He is? What He's done? His character? What He's promised? Do you believe you have no power? Have you admitted that? See, Jehoshaphat gives us an incredible model of what to do. Some of the greatest victories in life are those crises that are so bad, there's not a single way we can take credit for anything good that comes of it. Remember who Jehoshaphat was. He was a good king. He's leading God's people in the right way. Walking closely with God is is no shield from crisis. Mm -hmm. And so how are we going to respond as men? How are we going to handle the next crisis? I love uh, how Marty Fuquay puts it. He said it's the orange juice theorem. Mm -hmm. And he says all oranges look the same on the outside. Mm -hmm. But until the orange gets squeezed, you don't get to see what's on the inside. Anyone could be a good Christian when life is good. But our heart and our faith is revealed in those tough times. So, men, we're going to break into our uh, discussion groups. You say, what what are we going to talk about? Well, where is it that you're either in crisis, tempted to be in crisis, and where you've taken your eyes off the problem solver? And what is it that you can do differently to get focused back on God. Okay? So we're going to focus our time on that and then uh, close with a great time of prayer. Okay? Awesome.